to let them know how much you appreciate what they do. <clears throat> so, last week, Job, um, yeah, indispensable theology, right? Indispensable theology. We talked about it uh, Wednesday night at Young Adult Bible Study. We followed up talking about the book of Job. Yeah, um, Job acknowledged that his adversity was from God, chapter 2, verse 10. But Job did not blame God, chapter 1, verse 22. I love God's Word. This is beautiful theology. Uh, In the book of Job, there is an awesome reigning sovereign God who is in view um, it's why some have, some have a strong aversion to the book. I shared with you last week that a good friend of mine just left the church. Uh, he just walked out. He said, I can't handle Job. I don't like it. I don't like what it teaches. I don't want to hear it. I'm gone. And as far as I know, he, he's never come back. You know, much of mankind, they don't mind God so much if He'll stay out of the way. Right? If He'll just be there on Sunday when I want Him, if He'll stay out of my life, unless, of course, um, He's going to bring me health, wealth, and prosperity, unless He's going to bring me blessing. But if it's not going to be on the blessing side of the ledger, I'm not sure I really want God in my life. This is how many people, well, most people in the world are, and even many in what is called the modern church I've had this experience. I've been doing this for a long time. Most people just kind of they want to fix God. They want to they come and tell me how they how God needs to be fixed. Well, this is not right. How could God do this? This is not correct. This is wrong. How can the Bible say that? We talked about it Wednesday night at Young Adult Bible Study. Once people actually read the Bible, some people actually don't like the God of the Bible. This happens all the time. It's what happened with my friend who left the church. He's not interested in a sovereign God who can work both in blessing and trial. Most people don't have a problem with a God who works in blessing. Bring on the blessing. We love the blessing. But a God who purposes and sovereignly works in a trial, oh, maybe not so much. Right? Maybe not so much. Maybe I don't want to sign on with a God like that. We say it a lot in this church. (laughs) You know, a lot of folks, they just want a cartoon God. Just give me a cartoon, man. Give me a caricature. Don't teach me the weighty things of Scripture. I don't want to hear the hard stuff. Just, yeah, show me a cartoon that fits into my life. That's not going to disturb me in any possible way. He's a cartoon God. Yeah, give me that God. I, heard, I hear this a lot. But at ICM, we don't preach that God. You know, we don't preach the cartoon. We preach all that God says. The stuff that goes down easy and the stuff that's mysterious and hard. You know what? Life's too short. I'm not going to cheat you. If you come in here, we're going we're gonna to look at the Word of God and we're going we're gonna to talk about the things God says. I, I, I'm not interested in politics. I'm not interested in civic affairs. I'm not interested in um, these kinds of things. We're gonna, you know, who's, who else is going to tell you about God? Really, who else is going to tell you the truth? Who's going to tell you the truth but the church of God? 
the church of Jesus Christ. Nobody else in the world will tell you the truth. Nobody. I know you probably think there are some reliable folks out there, but everybody's got an agenda. Oh, they say, well, you say, well, Jim, you've got an agenda. Yes, I do. I want you to know Jesus Christ. I want you to love Him. I want you to walk radically with Him, and I want you to spend forever with Him. I do have an agenda. It's an agenda of love. <laughs> I want you to know Him like I know Him. You know, this is not theoretical for me. <laughs> it's not theoretical. So we preach Jesus Christ. And one thing we saw last week, he never explained anything to Job. God doesn't explain himself to men. God reveals himself, but he never explains himself. And I shared with you last week, I'd rather have one revelation from God than 10,000 explanations. I do not care. God does not need to explain himself to me. I don't require it. I know that many people uh, in the modern church, I, I hear this a lot, they, they, they demand that God give an accounting of Himself in their life. We saw it last week with Job, and of course God does not explain Himself. So, tonight I, it just seemed good to follow up the book of Job with what we want to talk about, what I feel like the Lord has led me to, to talk about this evening. Um, it kind of extends the conversation, the Job conversation. And it's an issue that I get questioned about a lot and I really want you to be able to speak biblically about it. So, 2004. It was December 2004. Who remembers the calamity that, that came into the world December 2004? Does anybody remember that far back? The tsunami in the Indian Ocean that killed a quarter of a million people. We had a young man in the church at that time from Indonesia. His name was Leslie Koo. We loved Leslie Koo. He was our young adult department, right? He was it. And we would drive to Monza uh, on Wednesday nights and have young adult Bible study with Leslie Koo, right? And so December was obviously Christmas. I think it was December 26, actually, if my memory serves. We were back in the States with our family, and Leslie had gone back to Indonesia, so obviously we were concerned, we could, and we couldn't reach him. Man, I, keep, I kept sending him emails, and I couldn't reach him, I couldn't reach him. Finally, in late February, he responded. He was okay, but he had known people who had suffered and died in the tsunami. We were able to finally talk to him. Google does confirm um, I checked it yesterday. About a quarter of a million people were swept away in one natural disaster. Inevitably, the questions come, right? The questions come. Where was God? Why did God let this happen? Could God not have stopped this? If God were good, He would have prevented this. If God were omnipotent, He would have prevented this. God is either not there, He's not good, or He's not omnipotent. Now, this is what you hear in the media and in the, the public square at large. Probably where you work, probably where you go to school. The only time... Well, let me just say it this way. It's frequent that the only time you hear God mentioned in the media is when He's being indicted or mocked. 
mocked or slandered. Particularly when a natural disaster of this magnitude comes. I still remember when it happened. I came across an article written by David Hart of the Wall Street Journal. He wrote this regarding the tsunami. No Christian is licensed to utter odious banalities about God's inscrutable counsels or blasphemous suggestions that all of this mysteriously serves God's good in. So, I'm preaching this because you should be able to answer this man. You should be able to answer his charge. How would you answer Mr. Hart? Do Christians have anything meaningful to say in the face of this kind of calamity? You may remember the 2005 hurricane uh, named Katrina that hit the Gulf Coast of the United States. Daniel Shore is a NPR uh, radio host in, in America, and he said this. He said, if God is the intelligent designer, He has something to answer for. Well, how would you respond to Mr. Shore? Do you stand there and have nothing to say? Are you a biblically literate Christian? Do you know what you need to speak into the world? when the world ridicules, slanders, and indicts your God? Do you know what to say? Beloved, God's not silent on this. And we need to be able to speak to these things lovingly and in a biblically literate way. You may remember, probably not, I don't know that the book was widely read, but of course theologians, uh, this is what we do. We read obscure books. I've written one, by the way, but anyway... It's quite obscure. Um, 1981, uh, a rabbi named Harold Kushner wrote a book, When Bad Things Happen to Good People. And his whole take on natural disasters is that God is impotent and God can't stop it. Well, the first thing we know about Rabbi Harold Kushner, he's not talking about the God of the Bible. He's talking about some caricature. He's certainly not talking about the God of the Bible. Is God powerful enough to speak two trillion galaxies into existence, but not powerful enough to control them? This is irrational and illogical, and the Bible actually speaks to this. So in the face of jaw-dropping natural disaster, do you have anything cogent and pertinent to speak into the world? If you're a Christian tonight, the answer is yes. In fact, you are the only one that has anything meaningful to say. Everything else you hear will be speculation. But if you speak from the truth, if you speak from the Bible, you have something meaningful to say. God speaks quite clearly in the Bible about these things. Well, let me just say this first. The first thing we do in the face of calamity and disaster is, is we weep with those who weep. We, we love, we give, we serve. As we have opportunity, we, we try to relieve suffering. This is what Christians do first. But you know, at some point, people start asking the question. They start asking the question, why? Right? Why has this come to me? Why has this happened? 
And when the time is right, we need to be able to speak. You know, sometimes when someone's in the middle of a calamity, you don't speak. You're just with them. You just love them. You hold them. You, you, you comfort them. You, you get them water. You, you, you do what you have to do. But when the urgency of the moment has passed and the questions come, you need to be able to speak. As a Christian... So God does speak about these things in His Word. Some of you know where I'm going. Some of you know exactly why I read out of Romans chapter 8. God has given us His revelation. It is His gift to His people. His gift really to the world, but particularly and specifically to His people. The 66 books of the Bible. And while God has not revealed all things to us, He has revealed the indispensable things. While we do not understand everything, uh, we do understand the essential things. Right? You know, oftentimes people come and ask me questions, and I can't answer the question in the particular. I can't. I, I don't know. I don't know. God doesn't speak to that. I don't know. But when we can speak, we need to be able to speak, right? God means for you to be in the world speaking the truth. I say it to you all the time. It's one reason you're still walking around on the planet. It's not just about health, wealth, and prosperity or building a big career or, you know, having success or, you know, getting famous or, you know, having the perfect family. God gives us some of those things, but preeminently, if you're a Christian tonight, you're here to speak truth in the world that men and women will come to know Him. That's your paramount reason to be here, beloved. If you've forgotten that or you're confused about that, you haven't understood what Jesus has commanded you to do with your life. So, yeah. I read this quote to you last week in the context of Job, and I'm going to read it one more time because I think it's perfect. Um, what John Piper says, American preacher in the, church, uh, in the States, what he says about the modern evangelical church. Let me just read it to you. Against the overwhelming weight and seriousness of the Bible, much of the church is choosing to become more light, shallow, and entertainment-oriented and is therefore successful in its irrelevance to massive suffering and evil. Listen, if all you do is happy church all the time, you don't know what to say to your friend whose little girl is dying with cancer. You don't know what to say. You don't know how to comfort them. And when the tsunami comes, when the natural disaster comes, you're standing there with a blank look on your face because all you know about is happy church. No one's ever opened the Bible and taught you how awesome God is and how He can work in tragedy and how He does. So, Piper continues, the popular God of fun church, oh, <laughs> I uh, usurped him there. The popular God of fun church is simply too small and affable to hold a hurricane in his hand. The Bible explodes such trivial notions of the Almighty. So what I want to say as we begin, um, some of you are still entertaining trivial notions about Jehovah God. 
If that's true of you, this sermon will be hard for you. You might even reject it on its face. If you're basically biblically illiterate, you might reject it on its face. This will not be cotton candy tonight. It will be strong meat. So some of you are ready to hear it. Some of you are not. Uh, I pray that you will hear it with all humility. And uh, yeah, it's always a good thing to hear the Word of God in all humility. So what does God have to say when the tsunami and the hurricane come? And really at the end of the day, right? All you really want is God's opinion? Am I right? What does He say? What does God say? So we'll open up the Word and we'll try to understand. I'm going to go back initially to Romans 8. So if you want, you can be opening your Bible there. Back to Romans 8. The best place to start is why? Why earthquakes? Why Tsunamis, hurricanes, tornadoes, floods, volcanic eruptions. Why do these things happen? Is there a flaw in the design? Did the intelligent designer uh, build a flaw into his design? Is he culpable? Is it his fault? Is it his incompetence? Is it his impotence? What is it? And I just want to share this verse with you. Many of you know it. Ephesians 1.11 God says, I work all things after the counsel of my will. That includes, beloved, contrary to Rabbi Harold Kushner, that includes the tsunami. That includes the hurricane. That includes the tornado. That includes the uh, volcanic eruption. God says, I work all things, all things, after the counsel of my will. He is a sovereign God. As I say to you often, there's not one rogue molecule in the universe. Not one. And certainly that includes Satan. We learned that last week. So I read the text to you. Eight, uh, Romans 8, 19, 20, 21, 22. I won't reread it. The Apostle Paul, uh, what is he saying here? He says, The creation has been subjected to futility and is enslaved to corruption. Now, who enslaved? I don't know, your Bible may give you the clue. Who enslaved uh, corruption or the, the creation to futility? Who did it? Was, it? was it Adam and Eve and their sin? Was it Satan? Who was it? What does your Bible say? Do you have a, do you have a personal pronoun there? capitalized it was him him God did this God did this in judgment okay God subjects the creation to futility or corruption this is part of the judgment that falls on the earth as God judges rebellious man did you notice it's done in hope in hope of what <laughs> that the creation itself would be set free from corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. When will that happen? When Jesus comes back. The created order is groaning for the glory of God. I heard one theologian say, do you know how hard it is for the earth to bear up under seven billion sinners walking on it? Do you understand his point? The created order hates it. 
that mankind is in rebellion. He's personifying the created order, obviously. So, when will this happen? When does the glory happen? When Jesus comes back. And the, and the text references this. Revealing of the sons of God. That's you and me. So there's a massive biblical truth here that natural man does not accept and too many professed Christians do not grasp and understand. And I want you to hear me. Sin against an infinitely holy, good, and righteous, and just God is unspeakably heinous, monstrous, and horrific. It's why hell is forever. Okay? And I've got a sermon on hell on the podcast side. If, you wanna, if, you, if you're not current on that, go listen to it. The sin of Adam and Eve was so heinous in the eyes of God that the whole created order was subjected to corruption and futility. The whole created order. Romans 5.12 tells us that through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. And as part of God's judicial response to mankind's rebellion, the whole created order is subjected to futility and corruption. The scientific word is what? Some of you probably know. Entropy. That things are moving uh, from order to disorder. Entropy is the scientific word. God means for man to understand that natural disasters are not some flaw in His design, but it's the consequence of man's rebellion and sin against Him. When a natural calamity occurs, it's a physical picture of the moral reality. I know you and I don't think about our sin like this, but this is how God sees it. This is how God talks about it. The whole cosmos is blown up because you and I have rebelled against God. It's what God is saying to us here. Let me quote John Piper one more time. Regarding all the suffering in this life, whether it's personal or universal, Piper writes, the sufferings of this life are part of the universal God-decreed collapse of creation into disorder. I want you to hear this. Because of sin. God has subjected the world to futility because of sin. Therefore, all the misery in the world, and it is great, is a bloody declaration about the ghastly horror of your sin and mine. I know we don't think about this. We think, well, it's a little picadillo. It's just a simple little thing. It's just, well, you know, we're in love or whatever. God hates it. And God will judge it. The wages of sin is what? A day at the beach. No. What does God say? It's death. You've earned your wages. Every one of you should be out of here. And I include myself. You should be out of here yesterday. You've earned your wages. Every day you walk on this planet is sheer grace and mercy with God. Whether you're a believer or not, it's all grace and mercy. You should be gone. You should be gone yesterday. 
This is what your sin is. This is what my sin is. Piper continues. Listen to this. All the natural evil that we see, natural disasters, is a statement about the horror of your moral evil before God. Beloved, you and I need to learn to think like the Bible teaches us. We need to, we need to learn to think this way or we will be accusing God too. You will become a God accuser when the hard day comes if you don't understand that every nanosecond you breathe is grace and mercy. You'll be a God accuser too if you don't understand what John Piper is talking about. So unbelievers and unregenerate nominal Christians, they will not hear this. They find it abhorrent, offensive. They scoff at these biblical truths. But I want to say this to you. You know why it's ludicrous to them? It's because they put the life of man above the glory of God. You never see this in the Bible. The life of man is not supreme to the glory of God. The glory of God is always supreme to the life of man. It's always this way in the Bible. And the reason people accuse God in the face of calamity is because they can't imagine that His glory is more important than the life of some man, woman, boy, or girl. And I'm not belittling human life, but we're not understanding beloved, about the glory of God. The glory of God is paramount to God. I know he's presented in such an effeminate, um, user-friendly kind of way in many churches. But beloved, the Bible is radically God-centered. <laughs> it's not... Ultimately about you. Yeah, there's some awesome news in here for you. But it's not ultimately about you. It's ultimately about Jesus Christ. And Him getting glory through your salvation. <laughs> Which makes it all the more beautiful and unfathomable. Listen, God is not just a little myth that your sin. And that my sin. He's not just a little concerned about it. I love that famous sermon. Jonathan Edwards, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. He says, God is dreadfully provoked. He's dreadfully provoked. And you should have been gone yesterday. If you're still walking today, it's because God is a merciful God. He's giving you one more day to repent and believe. That's why there's 7.125 billion human beings on the planet. Not because they deserve to live, but because God is gracious. Two, you know, a quarter of a million got swept away in a tsunami. It is a tragedy. But this is always God's prerogative. God says, I, I give life and I take it. This is God's business. It's not your business. And it's not my business. Romans 1.18 My wrath is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. I preach this text. I preach Romans 1 in my preaching class in seminary. 
And I forget it dawned on me. Well, how's the wrath of God being revealed? Well, in many, many, many ways, but the most vivid is death. While we're in here for 90 minutes, 9,000 people on the earth will die. And death is coming for you. And it's coming for me. Death is the wrath of God against sin. He says, my wrath is being revealed. So is the Bible telling us that natural disasters are the result of sin? Yes, that is clearly what the Bible says. If there had been no sin, we would all still be in the garden. Right? We'd all still be in paradise with God. So, is the Bible saying that the sin of the Indonesians and the Indians and the Sri Lankans among other Asian nations warranted such a catastrophe? Is the Bible saying that the sin of the Japanese warranted uh, the 2011 uh, tsunami? Is the Bible saying the sin of the Americans living on the Gulf Coast in 2005 warranted such a disaster? And every other disaster, I don't have time for you to the litany, there's usually two or three a year or more. Is that what the Bible's saying? I want you to hear me carefully. Yes, that's exactly what the Bible is saying. But here's what you need to understand. They are no more culpable than you and I. You and I should be swept away yesterday. You know, we have this misplaced amazement, right? We're amazed that God doesn't Treat me better. You should be amazed that you're still walking around. You should not still be walking around. It's grace. It's mercy. That's what it is. So, this is what the Bible, the biblically literate Christian understands. We should not be astonished the day calamity comes. We should be astonished every day calamity doesn't come. Do you understand? You should be astonished every day calamity doesn't come. Because God's wrath is being revealed. He's dreadfully provoked against your sin and my sin and everybody else's sin. This is a testament to His long-suffering and His patience and His kindness and His mercy that anybody's still walking around. I know we don't think like this, beloved, but this is how we, if we're, if we're going to call ourselves Bible-believing Christians, this is how we need to learn to think. Misplaced amazement. Man is amazed that God withholds blessing. The Bible teaches man should be amazed he's withholding judgment. And nobody gives thanks to God for 10,000 days of wrath withheld. When was the last time you thanked God? God, I'm so thankful I didn't get what I deserve today. I know I should have been in hell yesterday, but it's only by Your grace that I'm walking around today and it's by the, the sacrifice of Your Son that I am reconciled and redeemed to You. When was the last time you had that conversation with God? When was the last time you thanked Him that the wrath you deserve has not fallen on you? When was the last time you thanked Him that the wages you've readily and appropriately earned you have not received? 
When was the last time you prayed that prayer? Beloved, what I'm trying to do lovingly is wake you up. If you are asleep, I'm trying to wake you up. You know, I run into people all the time. They're not very thankful. Then you don't understand the Gospel. And you don't understand the Bible. If you're not a thankful person, you have no clue what the Bible's talking about here. You should be gone a long time ago. But God is giving Him mercy. God is giving Him mercy. God is giving Him mercy. Not only for many of us is God giving us mercy, He's just pouring blessing out on us. You can't even begin to count the blessing. You don't even know where to start. And then one thing goes wrong in your life and you're accusing God. I've seen this many times, beloved. I'm not, I'm not accusing all of you. I, 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 I'm talking corporately here. I, I've been doing this for a long time and I've seen this in the church. I've seen it many times in the church. Romans 1.18 is true. God's wrath is being revealed. But here's the other. Here, I want to read this to you. Romans 2, 4, and 5. Do you think lightly of the riches of the kindness and forbearance and patience uh, of God not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? See, this is what he's saying, right? He continues, but because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Beloved, here's the cool thing. Romans 1.18 is true and Romans 2, uh, 4, and 5 are true. You are living in this beautiful era where God is offering grace. Right? God is offering grace. Wrath is being poured out, but God is offering grace. There's this commingling of grace and wrath in this New Testament age. So every natural disaster bears both the marks of God's wrath and His grace. Let me just say this. I want, to, I want you to hear me. Natural calamity is God's preview of what sin deserves and will soon have. And hell is infinitely worse than a tsunami or a hurricane. God says to a, to a, a world that's in a spiritual stupor, God says, wake up! My wrath is at work. Death is coming for you. You've earned your wages. Wake up! And sometimes when a quarter of a million people are swept away, the, the world wakes up for a few days, right? And they start talking about it. Listen, 50 million a year die. It's this silent calamity, right? It's the silent holocaust all over the world. 50 million annually. Death is real. Death is, death is coming for me. And death is coming for you. In and through His righteous judgment, God is working grace and mercy. I love this about God. He's doing, he's doing both things. He's judging, he's judging the unbelievers and He's working grace and mercy for His people. He does both things in the same event. So how, do, how does natural disaster bear the marks of God's grace? Did you notice in Romans 8.20, 
tells us that God has subjected the creation to futility. We saw it a few moments ago. And then in 8.22 it says, the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth. Again, when Jesus returns, there will be a new heaven and a new earth and you and I will inhabit it. Right? So as God is judging the world, He's in the process of bringing out that new heaven, that new earth. These are the birth pangs of the work that God is doing. So how does natural calamity bear the marks of God's grace? Let's look at it a little further. I want to turn real quick over to Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13. I wish you'd turn with me there real quick. And let me, let me look at, let's look at what Jesus says here um, when He's asked about these things. If you read Luke chapter 12, you discover that it's a sermon from the lips of Christ regarding man's guilt and accountability to God. As chapter 12 ends, Jesus warns that He will judge the world and that we should make peace with God while we have the opportunity. And then, let me just read uh, verses 1-5, through Luke 13. Now on the same occasion, there were some present who reported to Him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Verse 2, And He answered and said, This is Jesus, Do Do you suppose that the Galileans were greater sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered this fate? Verse 3, I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Hey, there's one answer for you right there. You can just answer it like Jesus answers it. When somebody says, why did all those people die? Well, you too shall perish unless you repent. You say, Jim, that's not a satisfactory answer. It is from God's perspective. (laughs) Jesus doesn't deal with it. He doesn't deal with the particulars. He says you too will likewise perish if you don't repent. What he's saying is this is, a, this is a, a warning to everyone who views and witnesses this calamity. Then he goes on. Verse 4, Or do you suppose that the 18 on whom the tower of Siloam fell and killed them were worse culprits than all the men who lived in, in Jerusalem? Verse 5, I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you will, always likewise, you will likewise perish. So when the calamity comes, when the tsunami comes, when the hurricane comes, what does God want us to look at? What does He want us to look at? He wants us to look at Him. He wants us to look at death. Beloved, calamity is judgment and calamity is a call to repentance. It's always these two things. This is God's business. You say, Jim, I don't like it. Okay, don't like it. It's okay if you don't like it. God doesn't really care if you like it, in all honesty. It's what He says. <laughs> so it's true. He's not looking for your approval. He's looking for your submission to Him. He's looking for your worship. He's looking for your love and obedience. He doesn't need your approval, beloved. And He's not looking for it. He's not looking for it. Jesus does not explain the calamities. He says those who die in disasters, whether natural or man-made, are no more guilty than those who who survive them and observe them. That's the point I made earlier. The Americans who died in the the Katrina thing, the the Indians and the Indonesians who died in the Indian Ocean tsunami thing, they're no more guilty than you and I. No more guilty. But listen, they had all earned their wages just like you. Death has done, God has done you no wrong if you drop dead right now. 
God doesn't owe you 80 years. He doesn't owe you a statistical 80 years. He doesn't owe you that. In fact, what He owes you is just this. That's what He owes you. But if you're in Christ tonight, you don't get justice. You get grace and mercy. Even if your life ends tonight, you get grace and mercy and you go live forever with the King of kings and Lord of lords. I, I love how John Piper paraphrases what Jesus says here. You know, he says, hey, it's not that uh, their sin was extraordinary in any way. He's saying that it's, it's not that it's extraordinarily horrible. It's ordinarily horrible. It's just like yours. <laughs> it's ordinarily horrible. Every sin is that way. So, Jesus says, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Man mankind suffers from a severe case of misplaced amazement. The world should not be shocked that men die either by natural causes or through man-made or natural calamity. The world should be amazed that God has given yet another day of mercy on His planet. This is His planet. It's His air. It's His food. He's upholding you consciously. As, as uh, uh, the writer, as Luke talks about in Acts, in Him we live and move and have our being. I I'm just going to hazard a guess. Some of you are not thankful at all. It's like, you know, God's not performing adequately in my estimation. It's always about that. God's not treating me right. God's not treating me right. God's not giving me enough stuff. God's not doing right by me. It's always all about you. Beloved, the universe is not about you. It's about Jesus Christ. And you must be related to Him and in relationship with Him. You must know Him or you too will perish. It's what He's saying. Calamity is a call to repentance for everybody who sees it. The wages have been earned and you will receive them. The natural calamity is a thunderclap of God's call to repentance. That is exactly what it is. And every day you wake up, God is merciful. But all we can think about are the things that we don't think are right and we tend to want to accuse and slander and critique God for them. All the while forgetting that every breath I draw is mercy. It's mercy. It's grace. It's kindness. It's love. One more day, right? If we're an unbeliever, one more day to repent. If we're a believer, one more day to make much of Jesus before I go home for my reward. Listen, if you're a Christian, it's one more day to be a good steward. One more day to be a good steward. God ex ex exclaims through Ezekiel 33.11, God says, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather desire that, they, that the wicked turn back from his way and live. Through uh, Peter, God says, 2 Peter 3, 8 and 9. God is not slow about bringing judgment as men count slowness, but is patient towards sinners that they might come to repentance. Three times in the book of Hebrews, 
God shouts, today if you hear my voice, do not harden your heart. Arrogant and ignorant men love to indict God when calamity strikes. But we must remind arrogant and ignorant men that God is not on trial. Oh, guess who is? You and me. And if you're not covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, the full wrath of God will land on you forever. You say, Jim, this is not happy church. I know. This is real church. This is where we come in and we get humble before an awesome God. And we get thankful. And we remember the foundational and ultimate realities. So, the question always comes, what about Christians? What about the Christians, the, the, the Indian Christians and the Sri Lankan Christians and the Indonesian Christians that, and, and others that got swept away in the tsunami? Okay, let me just give you real quick some things that uh, we know from Scripture. We acknowledge that God is sovereign in both life and death. 1 Samuel chapter 2. If you want this stuff, I'll give it to you. Send me an email and I'll send you my notes. We know that we are not exempt from the calamities of this fallen world. Jesus says it in John 16. We know God ordains our days before we're conceived. Uh, Psalm 139. God causes all things to work together for good to those who love Him. Romans 8. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His godly ones. Psalm 116. To live is Christ, to die is gain. Philippians 121. Beloved, there's an ocean of theology in the Bible talking about this thing. It suffice to say we trust God with our lives and we trust Him with our deaths. Right? If it's my time to go, I'm like, Paul, I'm ready to go. I'm hard-pressed. I'd like to go. You know? <laughs> Except it may be profitable for me to be here a little bit longer in, with respect to the kingdom of God. These are the words of Paul. So what do we say to David Hart and Daniel Shore and the good rabbi? All they can do is speculate and mock and ridicule and slander God. But I want to say this. Our God is an almighty, sovereign God. He speaks and galaxies stand forth. He speaks and the earth trembles. He speaks and the storm is stilled. Natural disaster is no indictment upon God, but upon you and me. The point of every deadly calamity is to remind us of the horror of, the, of our sin before a holy God, of the reality of God's wrath and our imminent death, of God's merciful call to, the, to those who are living and observe the natural disaster. Repent and believe. Repent and believe. I'll just close with Isaiah 55, 6 and 7. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. Let the wicked forsake His way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return to the Lord and He will have compassion on him. For He abundantly pardons. Beloved, you know, I don't get to know a lot of you because you're, you're in and out. If some of you need to be awakened tonight, I pray that God's Spirit has awakened you. You have earned your wages. And they are coming to you. 
But Jesus Christ is a Savior. Jesus Christ is the only Savior. He's the only way out of death. And if you don't know Him tonight, I pray that you give strong consideration to what God has said to you tonight from the Scripture. Life is short and death is coming for you. Let's pray together. Lord God, thank you for thank you for these truths. Thank you that we don't stand there with a dumb look on our face when people ask these kinds of questions. This world is under judgment. We need to learn to share that so people can see and maybe feel their need for a Savior. Lord, I pray we would be a faithful people. I pray we would be. Lord, as we sang at the beginning of the service, I'll just repeat, have Your way with us. Have Your way with us. Teach us humility. Teach us repentance. Teach us thankfulness. Teach us faithfulness. Teach us obedience. This is why we still walk the planet. We pray for Your help, Lord, for we are weak. We give all praise, glory, and honor to the name above all names, the name before whom every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. We pray in His name, King of kings and Lord of lords, we pray in His name, the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's stand together and I'll close with a benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance on you and give you peace. Hey, questions. I'm at the end of the email. I'm happy to talk to you. I'm happy to speak with you. Um, yeah, if you have questions about these things, if I, if I wasn't clear in any way, I'm happy to try to make myself more clear. So if you need me, call me. God bless. Have a great week.